0: James chapter number five, I think it would be appropriate to uh, just take a moment, acknowledge the faithfulness of our musicians, Angela on the piano, Dave and Andy on the guitar, thankful for Drew here recently, stepping back in and, and playing the drum some as well. The talent the Lord has brought our way, and how beautifully uh, that that worship service was played this this evening, and uh, thankful uh, for godly exhortation. Thankful for a body, a church that uh, is is constantly looking at the Word of God and and uh, seeing areas of opportunity that we can potentially be more biblical in in our expression of worship to the Lord. And uh, Dave and Pam, I thank you for that word of, of encouragement and. We paused for a moment and said, hey, you know what? Psalms probably aren't 100% completely empty from our worship and admonishing each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but we certainly felt like, hey, you know what? We could probably do that a bit more uh, once once we got to thinking about it. So thankful for, for Dave and Andy diving right into that exhortation and uh, providing us a great opportunity to worship the Lord through His word and through the Psalms, and so I pray that your heart was was encouraged this evening. James chapter number five, the title of our message is going to be simply, In Conclusion. Uh, We're wrapping up this this study in the book of James. James chapter number five, we're going to finish these last five verses this evening by God's grace, and uh, we are I'm going to be looking again at this topic of prayer. Last week we, we looked at the reflex of prayer and in all of life's circumstances, whether we uh, are, are struggling, whether we're happy, uh, whether we're joyful, cheerful, whether we're sick, whether we're in good health or not, we are to praise the Lord, we are to go to the Lord in prayer, we are to uh, develop this reflex of prayer as uh, His children. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we should constantly be in a spirit of prayer, to pray without ceasing. And so we're going to continue that thought. And I think you would agree as we finish out this, this letter from James that it's it's very clear in these final verses that James believes that God's people should be known as a people of prayer. God's people should be known as a people of prayer. So as I repeated that statement one more time, I hope that it maybe sunk in a bit. Did you think about that? Did you think about yourself, your relationship with the Lord, your testimony and reputation in uh, your workplace, in your neighborhood, within the church? I wonder, are you individually known as a Believer that prays corporately as a body of Christ. Are we a church that is known as a church that prays of all the things that the church could be known for of all the things that the church is known for in our American culture? Is it is a prayer? When society seems to be crumbling around us, when the morality of our culture seems to decline more and more year over year, when things just become hard, when our privileges and rights of religious freedom seem to be at stake, are we known as a people not that takes up arms and revolts, not a church that claims to the Bill of Rights and our religious freedoms or rather are we a church that goes to our knees in prayer? Because it's in our reflex, in our reaction to the circumstances of life that reveals what we are truly trusting in. Are we trusting in our American societal structure as a, a democracy? Are we trusting in what we think is is right in our own understanding? Are we trusting in the God of the Bible? And we demonstrate through that reflex of prayer. Prayer should be the common denominator for every Christian. In every time, in every generation, prayer should be, a reflex of follower of Christ. So the big idea that we're gonna look at this evening is this, God has and will continue to work mightily through the faithful prayers of his people. Thus, prayer should be a defining and grace-enabled discipline of those that follow Christ. One more time, God has and will continue to work mightily through the faithful prayers of his people. Do you believe that? Thus, prayer should be a defining and grace-enabled discipline of those that follow Christ. We're going to look at just three aspects or benefits of a prayer this evening in these final five verses. First point this evening is this. A prayer offered in faith maximizes the glory of God in this world. A prayer of faith maximizes the glory of God in this world. So as we established last week, verse number 15 should be viewed rightly as a, what, a principle and not a a promise. We talked about the Differences between a principle and a promise. So I'm not going to regurgitate that from, from last week, but we know that verse number 15 should be viewed rightly in terms of a, of a biblical principle. If the elders are called, they anoint with oil, they pray over the sick individual, we know that this person will not be physically healed every single time. Thus, we can't read this verse as a promise, but rather, it should be viewed in terms of a principle. This is good and right and biblical behavior for the sick person to engage in. Call for the elders. What is good and right and biblical behavior for the elders to do when they arrive at the bedside of a sick individual? They should what? Pray. That is the imperative of the text. These are good things that God honors and glorifies Him in the midst of difficult circumstances. So how does God offered physical healing through the faithful prayers of his people through the generations? Absolutely, he has. Does God still heal very sick individuals and miraculously raise them up from their ailments? Does God still do that? Absolutely, he certainly does. So let me be clear. I am not minimizing or taking away from God's ability to act in a miraculous way in the midst of difficult sickness, terminal illness. When all seems to be failing, when there's no other answer, when there's no other treatment, when there's no other pill or any other plan that modern medicine can offer, God has met individuals at that moment. And he has healed. He has caused what the tumor to disappear. He has caused that heart to beat once again. God is still in the business of miracles, amen? That being said, many denominations, many theological constructs have taken verse number 15, and let's read it. Verse number 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Many within uh, Christendom have taken verse number 15 out of context. Many have disproportionately placed value on the prayer of faith and determined that, hey, you know what, if you're not healed, if you're not raised up, it's not God's problem, it's whose problem. It's yours because you just didn't have enough what? Faith. You didn't believe enough. You didn't pray hard enough. You you were lacking in some crevice of your heart. There was was doubt that that just caused your, your illness to not be taken away. And thus, your faith failed. God uses miracles, certainly to maximize his glory in this world. God is the God of the supernatural. When things happen that don't make sense, we can point to God and say, hey, you know what? God did that. Why? Because he is not defined by modern medicine. He's not defined by the natural laws of this world. He is over and above them. He is supernatural. This is the God that we serve. He spoke all things into existence. God constantly does things that we can't always understand in our feeble, limited minds. God does miraculous things day in and day out. He proved that in the ministry of Jesus Christ when he walked and lived on this earth. proved time and time again that he had ultimate power over sickness. You remember our series through the book of John. He had ultimate power over death and the grave. He had ultimate power over nature. So friends, we should understand that God still works in these ways. However, we should note that healing, a successful outcome... It's not the only way God maximizes his glory in this world. He equally, friends, works through the ashes of loss. God's glory is magnified in such bright and real ways through the ashes of our difficulty and trial and suffering. The peace that God gives that passes. All understanding, as the world looks on, that is a a miracle. God working in and through our midst for us to have peace and hope and understanding in the midst of incredible turmoil. God is glorified in the faithful suffering of his people. He equally draws the unbelievers to a place of wonder as they look on and see the perseverance of the saints through great hardship. The proverbial singing praise in the jail cell of life has great power to those that look on, does it not? So I think in our American culture, our Western version of Christianity, we sometimes can fail to slip into this uh, false gospel of, of the health, wealth, and prosperity that says, hey, you know what? God is only glorified and magnified. God's name is only furthered through what the success of his people. Therefore, always and must raise up the sick one through our faith because this is the only way that God works through the raising up. But friends, I'm here to testify through scripture that God works through great loss and suffering and he magnifies his name through those deep and hurtful losses. So this evening, verse number 15, we're gonna acknowledge on the onset, that there is great dissension in regards to a proper understanding of this verse, um, many would would view this this verse in in terms of the last days. In attempting to understand, how can I view this in a promise, and how can it be fulfilled one hundred percent of the time? You can view it in the last days, verse number fifteen, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. When will the Lord raise him up 100% of the time when he comes back, right? And and the trump of God sounds and all of us will be caught up together with him in the air. This is the rapture of the church. God will raise all of us up on that day and we will have a new and glorified body in that moment. And so there is a future hope of a glorified body that is going to happen to 100% of disciples and followers of Christ. So there's, there's an interpretation that would say, Hey, you know what? This is, this is a futuristic promise, a future hope that God will raise us all up." Well, is that theologically true? Absolutely. Does it fit the context of this verse in this letter? Not really. Right? So I don't think this is where James is going with this. He's talking about more of a temporal and literal and momentary healing and saving and raising up in that day. So not only is there um, that view of of the end times, but there's also a view that would say, hey, there's a a special dispensation of a prayer where, where God views this prayer of faith as especially effective for healing and is then provided to this sick individual. Friends, as you look at that interpretation again. I think it's it's lacking. It just doesn't seem to fit the simplicity of the actual phrase, a prayer of faith. So let's get to what we believe this this to actually mean. So if we look at the literal interpretation of this phrase in verse number fifteen and the prayer of faith, you look at the Greek and the structure. This can literally be translated a prayer offered in faith, a prayer offered. In faith, I think this is particularly helpful in our understanding of verse number 15. And I believe it fits well in this direct context of the letter. Do you remember back in chapter number one? Turn with me there to verse number five. James chapter one, verse number five. What did James say? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given Him, Verse number six. But let him ask in what? Faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." James previously in this letter says that anybody that comes to the Lord in prayer, anyone that lacks wisdom, that's all of us, when we come to the Lord in prayer, it must always be in what? Faith. This is the defining aspect of the prayer of a believer. It is in faith. All faith for the believer, excuse me, all prayer for the believer should be given in faith. Faith. Clear. There's no special dispensation of faith given in this moment. There's no mystical conjuring up of this next level faith in prayer. This prayer of faith, a prayer offered in faith, is simply how all prayer should be as it comes to the Lord from the believer. Let him ask in. Faith. James assumes that when we come to the Lord in prayer, no matter what the issue may be, whether big or small, we should be asking in faith. And if we're not asking in faith, if we're coming to the Lord in pretense or presumption, if we're coming to the Lord with bias or for our own benefit, what did James said early in the letter? That person should suppose that they will receive nothing from the Lord. So certainly they won't receive healing. Certainly this sick individual won't be risen up if it's self-serving. And so this prayer is in faith. All prayer should be offered in prayer. That's exactly what prayer is. Is it not an expression of faith? This is the only faith that can be offered. It's the grace-enabled Holy Spirit and power of faith that comes from the surrendered heart of the disciple of Christ. So in all transparency, as we look at the challenges with this verse, there's an improper view. Again, coming out of that prosperity gospel movements that would say Christians should always, in terms of a promise, expect to be healed from sickness. And friends, we must denounce this wrong understanding of James chapter 5, verse number 15. It's harmful, and quite frankly, it's wrong for us to propagate that type of understanding of the word of God in the context of James' letter. Because when somebody believes that, they understand that interpretation they're stricken with the terminal illness or somebody that they love deeply is, is, is struck with sickness. And they pray and labor and pray and labor over this situation. They, they give it to the Lord. And in God's providence, he deems that the raising up of that individual is not... What is for our good and for his glory. He determines that the taking of that life is the best way that God can be glorified and magnified in this earth. Can you imagine the hurt, the pain, the bitterness that can raise up in the heart of an individual that was told a wrong interpretation of this verse? So, friends, let us be careful. To distinguish between the principle and a promise, because it does have great downstream impact in the life of the believer. The failure of this view is that it is rooted in whom? It's rooted in man. It's not rooted in a sovereign God of the Bible who works out all things for our good and for His glory. Even sickness, even loss, even suffering, He works out all these things for our good. And it's in these moments that maximize the glory of God in the midst of these situations. So, We should view the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. We should view this again as a a biblical principle that supports the priority of prayer in the life of the believer. The prayer of faith, the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick. The reality that God does still heal, but regardless of physical healing this side of eternity, we certainly have a sure promise God a principle, a promise of eternal life for all those that place their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Friends, let's be clear. Verse number 15, it's nothing more than the sovereign will of God that will determine the answer to the prayers of a heart. No matter the outcome, No matter what our desire and our understanding, no matter what our hope might be this side of eternity, it is the sovereign God of the Bible that will determine the answer to all of our prayers. And friends, let us rest and believe that whatever those answers are, it is is best. And not only is it best, but it is that answer that will maximize the glory of God in this world, in our lives. In our relationships, in our community, it is best. So James wraps up verse number fifteen with uh, one more fun theological phrase. He says this at the end of verse fifteen and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I don't know why um, Andy didn't take this passage. <laughs> it would have been better, I'm sure. But uh, this has been this has been fun to study, friends. There, these <laughs> phrases have meaning; they have truth, and uh, we, we must seek to understand them. So James wraps up uh, this this final phrase, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's it's in this verse that we're reminded that in some cases, Scripture does indicate that some, not all, sickness and even death can come as a result of sin. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. This obviously is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He's teaching on the Lord's Supper. They've been abusing this. They have been not adhering to the the Lord's Supper in this time of communion rightly. So he's taking a moment in this letter to lean in and give them some teaching here, right? So verse number 28 of chapter number 11, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is what Paul says. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Literal interpretation of scripture says that Paul's teaching is drawing a connection between the physical state of some in their midst and an improper and sinful engagement within the Lord's Supper in this time of communion. That said, we should be careful to not follow in the steps of the Pharisees. You remember how they viewed all sickness, all difficulty in one's life was a result of unconfessed sin. So we have... challenge here, right? We have a balance that by God's grace we should arrive at in our understanding of this phrase. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Most sickness that we see and observe in our midst, in our society, should simply be viewed in light of us all living in a broken world. That said, how did the world become broken? Sin. That great rebellion in in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve broke the command of the Lord, thus there was a curse. There were consequences as a result of not obeying God's law. And there was a real, tangible, and physical implication of that rebellion. In that sense, we could tie all death and all sickness back to sin, mankind's rebellion against God. But every ailment that you have, every terminal diagnosis that comes is not a result of unconfessed sin, some rebellion against God. We live in a broken world and there will be trials and difficulty and suffering, and that will involve what? Under the sovereignty of God, it will involve sickness. There have been many, many faithful saints who love the Lord and from our understanding would would be living a righteous and holy life. But yet, they have become very, very sick. This is not a result of their sin, but rather the broken world that we live in. So... This sick individual, when the elders come, anoint with oil, they pray over them. And when there is a prayer of faith offered, and God does raise them up, if sins have been committed, they will be forgiven. God offers forgiveness of sins, let us be clear, for all at any time and any place. If we simply do what? First John, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whether we're sick or not, God calls us to be in a right relationship with the Lord, to confess our sin and to receive his forgiveness. This brings us to our second point this evening. A prayer of confession should be normal in the context of the church. A prayer of confession should be normal in the context of the church. Let's look at verse number 16. Therefore, so Paul is summarizing now. He's wrapping up his, his teaching on prayer. And he says in verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins. To whom? In this case, not to the Lord, but to one another. And pray for one another that you May be healed. So we see in verse number 16 a model of interaction and engagement that should be viewed as a normative activity among believers. So I want to hit kind of a strategic TO and talk about verse number 16 because I think it's important. Confession, not just to the Lord vertically, but confession to one another horizontally, specifically in the context of the local church, it should be a normal activity. So I want you to just think about the last time when you got together with somebody from the church, maybe shared a meal, coffee, got together for a Bible study, just stopped in over at your house, That you took the time to... Say, hey, Dave, I need to confess to you that I'm struggling in this area. We pray together about that right now. Rewinding, that's not a normative behavior in the local church, is it? Now, certainly if we have offended a brother or sister, if we have done a wrong against them, I would I would agree that that's more of a normative behavior. That's, that's not what we see here. We see here that we are just to what? Confess to one another and to pray for one another and that we will be healed. There is something powerful about engaging the body in our weakness, being transparent with the body that we are connected to, Ephesians chapter four, and being real with our struggle. Why? Because God has given us the church as a means of grace to help us. There's over 100 verses, the word of God concerning one another, passages of how we are to relate to one another and help and minister to each other specifically in the context of the local church, brothers and sisters in Christ engaging and relating to one another in very specific and real and tangible ways. Confession, friends, is the catalyst for these one another in passages to be released for our benefit, for our help and for our aid and for the health of the body. So confession the exposure of our sin to other believers should be normal in the context of the church. And this, this activity, this confessing to one another, this is the primary means that we can live out these one anothering passages in Scripture. It's any times of confession that we can come alongside and love one another. That we can bear one another's burdens. This is how we encourage one another. This is how we comfort one another. It happens when we are transparent with one another through confession. Confession activates the body of Christ to be exactly what we need in that moment of hurt and pain. Shame, the guilt, the burden that we carry in our sin. It's all taken away as we confess vertically to God, as we confess horizontally to the body of Christ, and God it runs to us, and God unleashes this wave of grace and mercy and help and resources through the body of Christ, His Holy Spirit, the Word. This all happens simply when we are obedient. Confess to one another and to pray for one another. So the result, confess to pray. What's the result here? It's pretty amazing. James says that we will be healed. What are we to do with that phrase? And we will be healed at it certainly will result in spiritual healing. We know that much. We know that, I think back in our lives, friends, the own testimony of carrying sin, harboring it in your heart, not being transparent with other people. That has a real impact spiritually in your life, does it not? Physically. Anxiety fear, stress, not being honest with others around you, lying, deceiving, taking advantage. Do not those things have a physical impact physiologically on our mind and our lives? Can that not have a a real tangible impact on our lives? So, friends, let me be clear. Confession in itself is healing, not just spiritually, but also physically. Have you literally felt that burden lifted when you were honest? When you admitted, when you confessed, when you repented of whatever was going on in your life? Could you literally feel the, the physical impact of that? Sorrow was turned to joy. Failure was turned to victory. Despair was turned to hope. These have a real impact on our lives. So is there healing through confession and prayer? Absolutely. In those moments when God does allow physical sickness as a result of our sin to occur, when we get right with the Lord, he can and will raise us up, deliver us from that moment of sickness. So as we look at verse number 16, let's move on. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The final phrase here, verse number 16, is another fun one. The prayer of a righteous person is, has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This has been translated in, uh, in other versions as the effectual prayer or the effective prayer of a righteous person. What does this mean? What are we, how do we make sense of this? We know that all believers positionally are righteous before a holy God, right? Right? It's that great exchange, my unrighteousness for his righteousness. Uh, There's that beautiful hymn. Maybe we can layer this in at some point. It's just coming to mind, his robes for mine. Remember that, that, well, it's kind of a newer hymn, but uh, we haven't sung in a long, long time. His robes for mine, a great picture of this great exchange, again, of our unrighteousness for his righteousness. This is the reality of all Christians and believers who are placing their faith in the finished work of Jesus. We're positionally righteous before a holy God, but practically speaking, in that moment, we could be harboring sin. We may not be fully right with the Lord. So what are we to make of this word righteous in verse number 16? The prayer of a righteous person. Well that Greek word is simply the chaos. It's likely referring to this more practical sense of godly behavior in the life of a believer. This isn't referring to the positional standing of a righteous first person before the Lord, but rather it's in the moment, in the daily living of a believer, are they at that moment righteous before the Lord? with that understanding i believe there's just a very simple and literal understanding of this phrase the christian who is walking in the spirit maturing in the lord and desiring to be righteous before that holy god this person can and should expect god to work in very real and tangible ways through the faithful through faithful prayer the person who is not right with the lord who is not walking in the spirit who is not in the word of god who is uh, could care less about their relationship with the Lord at that moment, they shouldn't expect the Lord to be working in their self-serving prayers, as we've seen in previous chapters of James. So James then, verse number 17, transitions, he gives us An example in scripture where God did an amazing miracle through the prayer of Elijah. God's name, reputation were on the line and a godly man stood up in prayer and what did God do? He showed up and he worked. He answered this prayer. He performed a miracle through the prayer of Elijah. So we know that should not be viewed as a promise, but rather a principle. God has and will continue to work through the faithful prayer of his people. If I were to pray for rain to stop, would God do that? Could God do that? Absolutely. Is there a reason? Is there a purpose in our day where we have to finish scriptures, the whole word of God? The Holy Spirit working in our behalf, does God work in that way now? He absolutely could. He absolutely has performed miracles in that way. But, friends, I just want us to understand and temper our expectations of scriptures like this. This isn't a promise, this is an example in scripture where God showed up. He worked a miracle. God still does miracles. But, friends, don't let your hopes be dashed. Don't let your faith be crushed. If God doesn't show up when you proverbially ask the Lord to stop the rain, because in his perfect wisdom, rain falling may be exactly what needs to happen in that moment. Are we rightly reading and understanding the word of God? Are we rightly looking at scriptures through the context of a sovereign and holy God? Are we understanding principles versus promises? Friends, this will help us understand the Word of God in a more real and tangible way. This brings us to our third and final point quickly. A faithful prayer, excuse me, a faithful prayer life will cause us to reach out to the straying Christian. A faithful prayer life will cause us to reach out to the strained Christian. But there's something about prayer that causes ourselves and our own desires to simply just fade away. There's something about prayer that causes us to look outward and to look upward that brings others into view. And just think about American culture. How consumed are we with ourselves? We want it our way. In every area of life. It's my way or the highway. Our American culture is self-absorbed. We're not aware of those around us. There is this great pandemic. pandemic not just of COVID-19 in our day. There's a great pandemic of the privatization of the Christian faith in the American culture. My faith is, my faith, it's none of your business what's going on in my life. But I love God, I, I tune into a service online, I, I do my own thing. Faith serves me and my life my faith, my relationship with God is none of your business. This is not the Christian faith of the Bible. James 5, 16, have something to say about that. Confess to one another, pray for one another. There is to be an openness, a transparency, an honesty that's where we're at. And prayer, the very act of prayer, allows us to move out of this self absorbed state and to be fully aware of those around us. This reflex of prayer, confession, engagement with others in the context of the local church, it will cause us to remember those that have strayed, those that have fallen away. Do you remember the context of this letter? All the way at the beginning, James is writing to the persecuted church that's been scattered, the dispersion. You remember his opening verse written to the 12 tribes? They've been scattered. Many who James is writing to would have struggled to see God's plan and purpose in the midst of suffering. They would have doubted that this trial was really worth it that Jesus Christ really was the Messiah, or we wouldn't be experiencing this hurt and this pain and this struggle and this difficulty. Many would have grown bitter as a result of the unethical business dealings of the wealthy ruling class of the day. Do you remember what we have studied in the book of James? Many would have doubted as their unmet expectations through prayer Went unmet. Many, as a result, would have strayed from the faith. So, faithful prayer will cause us to reach out to those that are struggling. Can you think about the moments and the seasons that you've spent in prayer? Does not God bring others to your mind? Marriages, individuals, family members, children, loved ones, spouse. God brings others to mind when we pray. So God, through James, reminds us of his grace. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God through James does remind us of his grace. We're never too far gone for his mercy to meet us where we are at. And he uses God's people to meet us there. So friends, James' final remarks, as he would be well aware of the straying and the wandering and the falling away of believers under this great season of persecution, this scattering, this dispersion, he calls believers to run after those that are straying. He calls believers to be mindful of those that are falling away. It's the responsibility of the church to remember and to seek them out, to point them back to the truth that they have wandered from. And by God's grace, he uses us, fellow brothers and sisters, to bring them back to the fold. This This is beautiful. God chooses to use us, you and me, every single one of us, to seek out our brothers and sisters that we know that are wandering from the truth, to be aware and be mindful and to proactively run after them. We believe, if saved, always saved. We believe in the doctrine of eternal security, but only God knows who is truly saved. If we see someone who has been among us falling away from the truth, we should warn, we should run to their aid, we should speak the truth in love, we should pray as James has admonished us here in this chapter. And by God's grace, we will see some come to a saving knowledge of God's truth and thus they will experience his eternal life and they will not experience death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, amen? Amen. This is the hope that we have. And this is the hope that we should be running and taking to these strained believers. The sins that were once condemning them as guilty before holy God are now cast as far as the east is from the west and they are now remembered know more what great hope there is. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you in this prayer that we have attempted to be faithful to in the preaching of your word here in James 5. I pray that you would take my feeble attempt to understand and to make sense of and communicate rightly. Your truth in this moment, this time of preaching, I pray that we would be glorified in it. I pray that your truth, not my words, would be planted deep in our heart and that they would grow and it would bear fruit, Father, for your glory. I pray that we would get a God-sized vision for prayer. I pray that we would be faithful in it. I pray that you would use the prayer of us as individuals and corporately as a church to change the heart of this church, that we would not trust in ourselves or our own understanding, but Father, we would see you guide and direct, that we would seek and knock, and we would pursue you, Father, through faithful prayer. Thank you for the hope that we have here in Scripture, and I pray that we would walk in that hope, walk in that truth. I pray now as we sing this, this song and once more again, I pray that as a church, as we proclaim these inspired words back to you, Father, I pray that it would stir our hearts to confess to one another, to pray to one another, and to receive that healing that you have promised to us. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand.